for me. Um, this is the uh, part of our worship service. We worship God with our tithes and our offerings. I'm going to call my guys at the plates forward, and and uh, I'll remind you, like in this church, we uh, we do everything as a part of our worship service. We worship God with with our voices, with our fellowship, with our with our time together, with with the message, with our minds, um, and in the offering, we worship God with our stuff. And so, um, as we prepare to worship God. Um, Bring your heart and your mind into a place where this is worship. That's that's what we're doing. We're we're worshiping God. We're showing Him our love. We're showing Him our appreciation, our dependence. And let's let's pray and let's worship with our offering. Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would be with us. Uh, help us to worship you. Help us to um, bring offering that would be pleasing to you. That that uh, most of all, Lord, though, that that it'd be our hearts that would be pleasing. That our lives would be pleasing. Uh, Lord God, that we would live as as your people as, as your uh, servants in this world. Help us to be like Jesus and help us to worship you with our offering and, and that this offering would uh, glorify you in this community and in this world in Christ's name. Thank you, Brooke. Let's uh, pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I, I pray this morning that uh, I would be faithful in, in sharing your word, Lord, that, that I would unpack the treasures that are in your scriptures, that, that as we remember the birth of your, your son today, Lord, that we, we uh, would just focus on you, Lord. Help us to, help us to find you in your word and, and in the promises you've made to us. I I pray that you would help me to not get in the way of that, that, that I would be faithful to the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that the folks who are here would hear from you, that they would know you more uh, from, from hearing the word preached. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this is uh, the beginning of our Christmas series. I, I'm going to be preaching through Matthew. Um, Matthew is my favorite of the Gospels, and, and I have... I have put off preaching the uh, Christmas series out of Matthew because I, it would be the, uh, the the most fun for me, and I'm I'm a guy who eats the frosting off the cake last, uh, and and so here we are in Matthew. I'm finally kind of breaking down and and enjoying it, and uh, as as we get into it, before we dive into it, um, I wanna I wanna talk about movies, y'all. Um, my wife and I have been watching movies together for 20 years. And, and my wife hates watching any sort of suspense or mystery with me um, because we approach the world in very different ways. My wife reads, you know, two or three mystery novels a week sometimes when she's really into it, and she doesn't ever try to figure out who did it. She wants to, to enjoy the story and reach the end and be surprised by it, and, and everything in her world is about just experiencing and enjoying. Whereas I... 
No, I don't skip ahead. For me, the joy is figuring it out before I get there, right? I, I love, you know, sitting down and reading a book and, and knowing exactly how it's going to end before I get there so I can feel good about myself, I guess. I don't know. Um, when it comes to movies, what happens is um, we'll, we'll watch movies, and I, I'll figure out who did it, and I'll, I'll lean over and I'll say, hey, honey, the murderer is so-and-so, and, and she hates it. And, and I'm actually a terrible husband because I do that. Um, I, uh, I, I remember watching, I think it was The Village with her, and, and approximately five minutes into the film, this is one of those Shyamalan movies that are the huge twist at the end, and I leaned over and I'm like, hey, honey, The Village is in, is in modern times. These are people who are victims of crime who hit out, and it's all, uh, it's all fake. There are no monsters. It's just a way of scaring the children into staying in the village. And she's like, no way. There's no way that's right. You can't have figured that out five minutes in. And then the twist happened, and she hit me. <laughs> in the middle of a movie theater, she hit me. Um, because I, I, like, everything, if you watch a movie or read a book, everything usually happens for a reason. And it's pointing toward the end of the story. You all with me? Um, and as we get into, you know, the, the book of Matthew, the beginning is there for a reason. And it's a reason that's really easy to miss, right? Um, and, and so as we start on it, understand the book of Matthew, this first few lines, which most people skip, they have all of the story hidden right there, right? It's a, it's a huge spoiler. You all with me? And I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. Jesus, like, dies on the cross and then is, raises again from the dead. And, and he's the king of the Jews, right? Like, there's the spoiler. And, like, all of Matthew is building up to that. Um, so as we dive into Matthew, uh, real quick, we are going to be doing a genealogy. Everybody loves the genealogies in the Bible, right? Um, the, the, the cool thing, I'm not going to get into the details of it. There's so much detail and so much material to cover, it would be impossible to do this right. So we're going to do broad strokes, and I'm going to tell you what Matthew is spoiling up front. Got it? This is, this is the movie, like, spoiler section right in the beginning of the book. Um, and so Matthew has an, a reason for doing genealogies. They were very popular in the ancient world for a number of reasons, like not the least of which is um, if you were the descendant of a king, it made you royalty, Right? If you were a Jewish person, like Jewish people were specifically descendants of Abraham. And being a descendant of Abraham was a huge deal to Jewish people. And so they kept track of who was related to who because it proved that you were Jewish, right? Um, like we, we think of religions now um, as being something you choose or don't choose. For the Jewish faith, like 90% of it, you were born into it or nothing, um, and getting into it if you weren't born into it was incredibly difficult. Um, and so the Jews kept very careful genealogies. And there's some cool stuff built into them. And like having written them for thousands of years, they came up with cool little techniques to tell stories in the genealogies. And we'll, we'll look at that today. Um, Matthew's gospel is written for Jewish people. right? Matthew wrote like what is probably the most Jewish of the gospels. Um, he emphasizes, like, Jesus' kingship throughout his book, like the fact that Jesus is, like, like the king of the Jews, right? Um, and he emphasizes God's fulfilling his covenants. Now, i got to explain this real quick, and then we'll get into it. Covenants are like contracts, right? 
Um, if you make a covenant with somebody, you have a contract where you have an obligation and they have an obligation. Um, God's covenants are a little different. They're um, in a style called Suzerian vassal covenant, which doesn't mean anything to you all. It doesn't really matter that much unless you're kind of want to remember it and look it up later. It's cool. Um, what that means is there's a king who would grant favor to people, and the king holds most of the responsibility in the arrangement. Got it? Um, so as we get into it, I'm going to look at two of the covenants, and then we'll get into the into the actual meat of the genealogy, which I know y'all are rip-roaring to hear who begat who, right? So um, real quick, the two covenants, that, there's actually like five covenants in the Old Testament, and they all build on each other, right? And we're not going to talk about all of them. We're only going to talk about two of them today. One of them is Abraham's covenant. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. And God adjusts it repeatedly um, throughout the life of Abraham, and God restates it. Abraham's job in the whole deal was to go where God told him to go, to be his people, and to get circumcised, right? If you know what circumcision is, ask your wife when you get home or your, your, your parents or whatever. Like, it's, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, so this is Abraham's side of it. And God made all of these promises to Abraham. Abraham was a man who had no children. And God promised to give him children and to give him descendants. And <clears throat> specifically, the last time he makes his promises... Um, we're in 22:15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, now this is in the middle of God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him, right? And on a different year, we actually, during Christmas, we talked about how this is really the story of Jesus being sacrificed. Like Abraham took his only son to the mountain where Jesus would eventually be crucified, right? And, and he goes to sacrifice his only son, and then God stops him and provides a sacrifice, a ram caught by its horns in some thorn bushes, right? Like, and there's all these cool little parallels to the story of Jesus. But there's also a promise, right? So the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself. By the way, for God to swear by himself is a huge deal, right? Because he's God, um, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. So like Abraham, you have a lot of descendants, and that's the Jewish people. There were a lot of them. There still are. Uh, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, in the singular, right? Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Um, we don't realize it at the time, but Paul reveals it a little later that through your offspring is actually God promising Jesus. Jesus is Abraham's offspring, like 14, 28, like 60 generations later, a little give or take. Um, Jesus is his offspring, and the whole world is blessed through Jesus' death for us, right? Like when Jesus is nailed to the cross, every wicked act I've ever done, every bad thing you've ever done, every shortfall and failure and sinful thing and like wicked look, all of it, Jesus took punishment for all of it. And those who are his followers are forgiven because Jesus was punished on our behalf. And the whole world is blessed through Abraham's offspring. Now, this is a big promise because, um, 
Because God is promising basically to change the whole world. He's promising to redeem us from our sins like at this time. But that means that whoever shows up has to be, well, not just circumcised. Thank you for bringing that back up. Um, (laughs) They have to be Abraham's offspring, right? They've got to be in the lineage of Abraham. That's important then. It means that when Jesus is born, he's got to be able to document that. He's a descendant of Abraham, right? It's a big deal. Um, The next covenant we're going to look at, so like Abraham's covenant where the Jewish people are created, the Mosaic covenant is where the law shows up. We're not going to talk about that one today. The last covenant that we see in the Old Testament is the Davidic covenant. King David was like the man in the Old Testament, right? There's no one... There's no one in in history like to really parallel with David, like how the Jews looked at him and viewed him and loved him and everything else. Like he is at a special level. And God made a number of promises to David. And and here's this is important. The the Lord declares that excuse me to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and the rest and you rest with your ancestors i will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood and i will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for my name this is solomon he's talking about and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong i will punish him with a rod wielded by men and with floggings inflicted by human hands but my love will never be taken from him as i took it away from saul whom I removed from before you, from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Last line is the most important one there. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, why does this matter? Well, he's promising that every king in Israel from there on out would be a descendant of David. Like David's line, they would all be kings and they would be kings forever, except there's a point in time where it all falls apart. This is another promise about Jesus, right? Because Jesus is a descendant of David and he is God's king who is his son, right? Um, Like the prophecy says, and he sits on the throne in Israel forever, meaning he is the king of God's people for all eternity. So God promises Jesus coming, right? And Matthew plays on these two promises over and over again in his book. This is a big, big deal. And he's giving this huge spoiler for the ancient, like, Jewish people reading. They would know these covenants better than they knew their own names, right? You would have memorized, if you were a boy, the expectation was by the time you reached the age of 12, you would have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. Like every Jewish boy memorized all of them by the time he was 12. And you could recite it like it was nothing, right? Um, and, and so these guys knew this backward and forward. They knew these promises. They heard about them over and over again. God has made big promises to us. And Matthew is about to, like, spoil the whole thing and say, God kept his promises right now, right? So, verse 1 of the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So, up front he says, these promises God made, right, the whole world will be blessed through you, and one of, you know, your descendants will be king forever, Um He's, he's referencing these. And every Jewish reader would have been like, 
what are you talking about? How is that possible? Can you explain this to me? And this is the front end of something really, really cool. Um, and so as we dive in, by the way, the word Messiah, in case you don't know, Messiah means anointed one. Christ actually means anointed as well. Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is a Greek word. They actually just mean the same thing. So Jesus Messiah means Jesus Christ. That's kind of a cool little thing. But for him to say that means that, like he's telling these readers, God's chosen person, who is a son of David and a son of Abraham, this is his credentials. Um, So we dive into it. This is a genealogy that is divided into three parts. You all with me? Um, The first one is Abraham was father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, there's one name that should stand out because I underlined it on the screen, but also because it's somebody who's a little different. Anybody catch who it is? There's a woman in this list. It was incredibly rare in the ancient world for you to include a woman in a genealogy. Like, you just didn't do it. And if they did, it was always to make a point. There are five women in this genealogy. Five. And there's something cool about it. Tamar was a woman who was in the line of of Jesus. She, um, when her husband died, she was not pregnant. And you read the story when you get home. I'm not going to tell it right now. Um, She basically had a child by tricking her father-in-law into helping her have a child because they were kind of cheating her and oppressing her, right? That's the nice way of telling the story. Um, like, but she is considered to be kind of a righteous woman, a good guy in the Old Testament. But like, she gets pregnant kind of in a really weird way, not in a standard way. Like, She basically has to trick her father-in-law into getting her pregnant so she could have a child. Like, like, which is considered to be a right of a wife. They were supposed to help her have a child to continue, you know, and, and they didn't. And so she, she tricks them. Um, this is a really odd person to include in a genealogy, right? Hey, this is the one who seduced her father-in-law to get pregnant. Like, I don't know about you guys. I would probably leave that out of my life story. What do you think? Um, there's trickery involved. But Tamar was considered to be a good gal. She was considered to be somebody who was faithful, and she was considered to be wise. Like, she's actually, like, held in esteem amongst the Jewish folks. But just FYI, first woman. There's a pattern here, and we'll get to it once we have a couple more of them nailed down. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab. I'm going to butcher these names, just so you know. Amenadab, the father of Nehashan. Uh, Nehashan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What do we know about Rahab? She was a prostitute. She was also not Jewish. And so, like, we have one woman who's considered to be, like, in high esteem. Another one who, actually, Rahab is pretty pretty held up amongst the, the Jewish people, right? But there is the reality that she was a prostitute and that she was a Gentile. Um, so... He mentions Gentiles. He's laying out Jesus' credentials as a descendant of Abraham, and he mentions people who aren't descendants of Abraham. Why the heck would he do that? Because there's a spoiler here. The spoiler is, you do not have to come from the right family for God to love you. 
You do not have to have the best background. You do not have to have the best pedigree to be God's child. You do not have to be born one of the lucky ones to be a person that God like would send his son to die for. Like, like you can be a member of God's family from not the right side of the tracks. That's kind of cool, right? I mean, because when else in history have the folks on the wrong side of the tracks been given a thumbs up like just because like God loves them? I mean, here we are, right? And so Tamar shows up, second woman, um, or excuse me, Rahab, who was a prostitute. Uh, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Um, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Um, by the way, King David stands out because he is the only one identified as a king, right? Um, and, like, he, he's unique in this list because he is the only one who is designated as a king. Because part of, what da- part of what Matthew is doing, part of what he's doing here is, he is emphasizing the fact that Jesus is a descendant of King David. And so Jesus is king, right? Like, he is a fulfillment of this promise. That is 14 generations. If you were paying attention and counting, please do not count on your own. There is one discrepancy in here, and there's some theory about why. There's also some skip generations, because Matthew's goal is to establish 14. And so a couple times he jumps. Isn't that weird? Um, it's actually really common in the ancient world. They would skip generations. Sometimes they would skip entire, like, chunks of generations. You would see where there'd be, like, a hundred-year gap in an ancient genealogy. It was a really common thing to do. And there were a couple reasons for that. Part of this is you had to memorize it. Anybody remember this already? If I take it off the screen, I could quiz you. No, of course not. But people had to memorize these things. And so they would use devices like 14, right? And they know, oh, hey, 14, 14, 14. I know that every one of these sections has 14 people in it. Um, and so you just had to remember that. Or, like, they would skip for main, main names and not, like, include some of the minor characters. Um, whatever. Like, there are all these reasons they did this. But in this case, he does 14 on purpose, and he mentions King David on purpose. Because King David is kind of the centerpiece of this story. And to keep going, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. <laughs> Who was Uriah's wife? Bathsheba. How'd she end up in this list? Well, she had an affair with the king who murdered her husband, and then she ended up in the genealogy. Pretty prestigious lady? Not really. Not who I would point out on my pedigree, right? Um, But she gets included, not by name. Um, But she gets included. There's also the possibility that she's a Gentile because Uriah was a Hittite not a Jew. And so we know that like there's the outside possibility that he married another Hittite or a, a foreign woman. And so like like it's there's the possibility that um Uriah's wife that Bathsheba was a was a Gentile. So there's several Gentiles already. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Um again butchering it, don't quote me on it. Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jerem. Jerem, the father of Isaiah. By the way, there is a cool thing that is happening here. How many of y'all know who these guys are? Yes, no? I mean, for the most part, you might recognize them, but these are some kind of odd names. There's an alternating thing that is happening. We go from one king who's righteous to one king who is wicked. 
to one king who is righteous to one king who is wicked. From one king, and it alternates good, bad, good, bad. And he jumps generations to keep that pattern there. Some of these guys were absolutely terrible, right? Like Solomon's son, we had this big united Israel, and Solomon's come, some son comes along, and he is like incompetent and wicked and prideful, and he basically causes a civil war that separates the country into two parts for the rest of history. Like, <laughs> he's, he's not a good guy. But Matthew is emphasizing good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, because it's not about your bloodline. It's not about how good you are. It's not about your family or who your father is or any of that other stuff. It is not about any of those things like the Messiah came from. God sent his son through ordinary people, through imperfect people, sometimes through very, very wicked people. And we're going to get to one of those guys here in a second. Um, King Isaiah, who is a good guy. Isaiah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah, who was a really good guy. Josiah, the father of Janiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. Um, Jeconiah, excuse me, should have been that last one. Jeconiah. Um, Jeconiah was so bad. He was so bad that... We get a prophecy about him. He makes mention in the book of Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah comes along and he says, golly, no, I definitely need my glasses to read that. Um, this says, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days. For none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Jeconiah, Jeconiah, again butchering it, um, is so bad that God sends Jeremiah and says, you know what? You screwed it up for everyone. There will never be another one of your family on the throne. You're the end of the line, buddy. And so even though he had like 12 kids, um, none of them ended up king, and he was called childless. And in fact, actually what happened was Nebuchadnezzar marched his army into Jerusalem, lined up his sons, tortured them all to death in front of them, poked his eyes out so he'd never see another thing again, but would remember for the rest of his life the sight of his sons dying, and then he died in captivity, I think castrated. Um, like, he, he went bad, right? But he was so wicked that God, like, said, you know what? I'm taking my promise back. How big is that? Because there aren't any more kings in his lineage at all. There are guys who come along and declare themselves king in Israel, but none of them land in this line. They are all out. Um, and in fact, in fact, there, there's kind of a cool thing that happens a little later. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, at the time of the exile in Babylon. So they leave and go into exile in Babylon. This is where the ancient genealogical records stop. Um, however, the temple had like really thorough records. And so Matthew in his writing would have jumped over to the temple records. And he would have recorded after the exile, Jokaniah was the father of Shelatal. Oh my gosh, Hebrew is awful. Shelatal, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihad. Abihad, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Eluhid. Eluhid, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, oops, 
and Jacob the father of Joseph. Now, what do we know about Joseph in relation to Jesus? He's a stepdad, right? And so this promise made to this wicked king, nobody in your lineage, none of your blood relatives will be king, it's fulfilled, actually, right? Because Jesus is an adopted son to Joseph. Now, he is in the lineage of David through Mary, and Luke kind of highlights that for us. But for the ancient Jewish reader, they would have read that, and they'd be like, oh, hey, he's sort of adopted in. And so he gets around this curse, right? Um, but he is in the lineage of David. And so he fits. He is like this king that follows up. Um, the husband of Mary, excuse me, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Now, English is a clumsy language next to uh, Greek, which is what this would have been written in. Um, the, the Mary was the mother of Jesus. That's written in what's called, like, in a passive voice, right? Every other instance here, it's in the active voice. So, like, David is the father of Solomon is in the active voice, meaning that David made Solomon, right? You all with me? Whereas Mary, like the, the way that Hebrew or Greek like Bible writers would describe it, like the, it's a grammatical thing called the divine passive, where God isn't specifically mentioned, but the way that Matthew writes it implies that God made her the mother of Jesus, it's the only one in the list that's like that because Mary didn't really do anything on her own like, like to make Jesus happen, right? She's a virgin when he was born. God chose her, put the baby in her, and she gave birth to it and so, uh, to him. And so like she is in this passive position because God has done all of this work. And it's a cool way to end this because God made a promise to, Solomon, or to Abraham that the whole world be blessed through your descendant. The whole world. And then he traces out these 14 generations to David. And he makes a promise to David, the king. And then 14 generations happen. And at the end of it, it is no more David kings, right? And then 14 generations happen all the way up to Jesus showing up. And God comes along and he fixes the whole thing himself. Because God is actively, actively working to fix the world. There's one more line in this genealogy. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. He altered it so there would be 14 to make a point. Anybody want to guess what the point is? This is a hard one, isn't it? All right, so there is a Hebrew practice called gematria. Gematria. I'm butchering that too because um, my Hebrew is absolutely terrible. Gemetria is where you take a name, because there were no numbers, right? Hebrew has no numbers. Instead, numbers were associated with letters, right? You all used to do that code, right? A is 1, B is 2, C is 3. Um, in Hebrew, it's set up that way. Only, um, like in this instance, what he does is, what, 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 what happens here is 14, D, W, D, are the consonants in the name. Anybody want to guess what the name is? David. Right? And so D is 4, W is 6, D is 4, which equals 14. And this gematria, he is saying, David's line, David's line, David's line. Isn't that weird? 
And so the whole point of the whole genealogy is Jesus is the king who's showing up, guys. Jesus is in this lineage the whole time he was meant to be king. And actually, when Matthew writes this whole thing, he's writing the whole thing to make the point that, you know what, God is sending a king to drag you people out of your slavery. Um, in our case, it's the slavery to sin, right? In the case of everybody who ever lived its slavery to sin, its fallenness, um, Jesus came as God's son, as God's like chosen son, like he promises to David, as the king over the whole world. Um, I, I, I didn't want to skip this section. I know it's heavy stuff, right? And it's warm in here. Um, what do we do with this? There are a couple things that are worth doing with this. First off, I have met folks who will look back at their family and say, I, actually, I'll even quote somebody who said to me years ago, I am white trash from white trash. There's nothing good coming out of me. Anybody ever heard things like that? Or my family has been screwed up forever and I am screwed up with them, right? Um, or my father was no good and so I'm no good. Or God supersedes all of that on our behalf. Doesn't matter where he came from. Doesn't matter what you like have inherited. Doesn't matter... Like, none of that matters. What matters is that God sent his son to die for us. And he sent his son through wicked people for wicked people, right? Didn't earn it. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. Like, God loves you that much. And the story of Christmas is the story of God stepping over our brokenness and our fallenness and our wickedness on our behalf. The other half of this is that God always had a plan. You know, when you watch a movie and there's this one weird little detail and then when you get to the climax of the movie, the detail jumps out and sort of takes over. You, you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's uh, the trick to figuring out how who did it in every movie is catching that one little detail. Um, Matthew gives us all the little details, all up front. He says, listen, God is sending his son. God is sending a king. God is going to bless the whole world through this guy. And like, like he is preparing us for this great thing. Um, as we celebrate Christmas, as we kind of go forth and we buy our Christmas presents and we, we get ready for a Christmas Eve service and we do, you know, all of the stuff around Christmas. We eat way too much and gain about 12 pounds or more. Um, we, we, you know, all of this stuff. Um, understand, like, what we're celebrating is that God planned all of history to build up to this moment, right? This, this moment when his son would arrive, king of the Jews, Right? His son would, would live perfect for us and then die on our behalf so that you can be right with him. This is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Something we can't earn, don't deserve, none of it. But God is amazing that way. And so, like, my, my challenge to you this week is to carry this with you and keep it in your heart and mind. This is who God made us to be. This is a blessing and a gift. And as we celebrate Jesus' coming, we're celebrating millennia of carefully laid plans coming to fruition. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll, I'll let you all be. hope I didn't bore you too much with the genealogy. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us to remember that Jesus is our king. He's the king that will reign forever, Lord, and that, that we're blessed to, to be members of his family, Lord, that we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't come from the right families or places, but that we're saved because Jesus died for us and because you chose to, to send your son for the, for the folks who just don't deserve it. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Should I pray for the meal right away? We want to do that.